We are coming to the end of this personal letter from the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians. You can almost hear the frantic scribbling of his pen as our study leader Dave Wurtson shares with us about what these concluding words reveal about the Apostle's priorities, his travel plans, the hospitality he experienced along the road, and the conflicts he faced. When you get to the end of a letter and you have a great burden to communicate a message to somebody, you have a way of tying things together. And if you're hurrying to get finished, maybe before someone is ready to go to the post office, you scribble it quickly and you get a lot of ideas down on paper. And that's the way 1 Corinthians chapter 16 concludes. If you turn to 1 Corinthians 16, 5 and following is Paul's conclusion to this book. And it's almost like he's trying to gather all of his thoughts for one last communication of very vital information to the Corinthians. And his thoughts, kind of like he's in a hurry, don't just flow in a very systematic order. It's not like studying 1 Corinthians 15, where we have a special focus on the resurrection. Instead, we're going to go right down through a series of vital concerns for the Apostle Paul. We want to begin, after we have prayer, with looking at Paul's travel plans. And what I'd like you to be thinking about as we study these verses are the kinds of things that were important for Paul. I think it's very important to us as we conclude the book of Corinthians that we ask ourselves, what's important in our life? In other words, as you write a letter to a friend and you're near the close of that letter, you have a tendency to talk about some things that are vital to you, things that you're living for, things that you're looking forward to. And 1 Corinthians 16, 4 and following gives us an opportunity to go back to the first century and have the Apostle Paul talk to us about some things that are really vital to him. What I want you to get is that the Apostle Paul lived a life that was very meaningful. In other words, he lived almost 2,000 years ago, and yet his life today is still making an impact, still making a difference. One of the great challenges to our own lives is not to waste our everyday experiences. I think it's very easy to think of someone like Billy Graham really serving the Lord and him getting a great reward from the Lord Jesus when he goes to heaven. I think it's easy to think of somebody like Bill Bright with Campus Crusade. But I think that we as just normal everyday believers can feel, well, how do we fit in to the plan of God? And these verses just talk about some everyday activities, some everyday concerns. And I want you to catch a little bit of the reality that we are involved in this same train of meaningfulness. There's a direct line from the kind of activities the Apostle Paul was involved in the first century and the kind of activities that we are involved in today. So let's bow our heads and ask the Lord to direct us as we study Paul's conclusion to the book of 1 Corinthians. Father, we thank you so much for the fact that you are good. We're thankful for a season that causes us to stop for a moment and to express appreciation and thanksgiving. The Apostle Paul is certainly a great example to us in that area. We're thankful for the concern that he had for individuals, that even though he was the great apostle and he was used by your Holy Spirit to found so many churches, he always had time to remember individuals that were friends and that were ministering with him. I'd ask you that your spirit would cause us to catch a glimpse of the even deeper bonds of unity 
and the even deeper meaning that we can have if we get caught up in the same kind of purpose and goal that the Apostle Paul had. And as he concludes his letter and talks about some very specific concerns that he has for the Corinthian church, we would pray that we would be able to extend it and make it very applicable to our own lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Apostle Paul in verses 5 through 12 talks about some travel plans. And in the ancient world, you didn't just call up your travel agent and get your ticket and jump on an airplane and go somewhere. In the ancient world, uh, traveling was a little bit more haphazard, although sometimes I wonder. But the Apostle Paul begins in verse 5 by talking to the Corinthians about some of his plans. He says, after I go through Macedonia, he's presently writing from the city of Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey, and he's planning on going north, probably to Troas, and then across the narrow body of water into uh, Macedonia. And then he'll travel south through Macedonia to visit with the Corinthians who are in the modern country of Greece. He says, after I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be passing through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. Instead, I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay on in Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door of effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. Now, these look like very personal concerns for Paul, and they were. I mean, what do we care? Uh, the Apostle Paul isn't running to us. He's not going to come and visit us. Although, if the Lord were to come back today and we were to be gathered together with him, we could be going to visit the Apostle Paul. But there's some things that I want to underscore about the life of the first century because these verses give you a window, an opportunity to look into the kind of experience that the, that the first century church had. In verses 5 through 7, I think the Apostle Paul is underscoring Christian hospitality for those on the go with the gospel. You know, someone will ask me, why do you travel? You know, why go north of the, of the Texas border? Why go into Oklahoma? Why do we need to go? Because we're under a mandate, and this church will die if we don't recognize and be very actively involved in this mandate, because it's the reason, it's the source of our strength and our energy. Because we're under a mandate to go into all the world and present the gospel. And so as a church family, as we enter into the meaning of the first century, what we're going to be having is we're going to be sending people out. In other words, as I look around the room, you could begin to relate many experiences that you've had with those on the go with the gospel. The Apostle Paul is reminding us of a very precious first century custom. When someone was on the go with the gospel, when they came to a church... It was very normal for that church to provide meals for them, to provide lodging for them, and then to give them sustenance so that they could go on their way. In fact, if you think that we bend over backwards, in the first century world, when the Apostle Paul came to Corinth and he wanted to travel to Jerusalem, for example, you would not just drive him to DFW and put him on the airplane. You would have to send about three or four of your men to travel to Jerusalem with him because of bandits and robbers and difficulties along the way and there was strength in numbers. 
And that's why as you're studying the life of the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, he often has a whole entourage going with him. What was that? It was first century hospitality. What the Apostle Paul is saying, I'm going into all the world to preach the gospel. And he's saying, I didn't want to just come to Corinth and spend just a very brief time because I'd like to really get involved in your lives again. I'd like to be able to spend a longer time. And also, I'd like you to become a base of operations to supply me so that I can go wherever the Lord would desire. So I want you to catch a glimpse of how we participate in that same tradition when over the years we send our teachers out and we also send out missionaries and we also have these that are involved in taking the gospel in the, all the world to visit with us. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't had the opportunity of having some of these servants of the Lord in your home, if you haven't had the opportunity of having them spend the night, the next time you get that opportunity, take advantage of it. Some of your most precious, priceless times of Christian fellowship will be with these servants of the Lord that are on the go. When I've traveled like in Poland and then in Brazil, something that always amazes me about believers is how much they take this Christian hospitality so seriously. For example, when the boys and I stopped in Rio, we were only in Rio for one day. We were going to stop in Rio. We were there maybe eight hours, and then we had to fly north to Recife. Some believers came and picked us up at the airport. It's very hard to do that because the time sequences and everything, the guy had to wait around for about two or three hours to pick us up. He got us, and we were going to eat a meal in his home, in his mother's home. But instead of taking us just to his mother's home, he took us to his church first. Now, I can't speak a word of Portuguese. I didn't have the foggiest idea what was going on. They were at the very end of their service. But you walk in, and our friend introduces. Dave Wurtzen and his boys are visiting here in Rio with us, and they're going to be able to just spend a few hours. And all the church gathers around. And they give you hugs, and they, and they gibber away in Portuguese. And they're telling you, you're one with us. We're with you in this. And so a few hours when I flew north with the boys to Recife to do a week of pastor's conference, you've got this marvelous strength of knowing that the family of God is worldwide. And even though you can't understand the language sometimes, you can understand the language of commitment and support and love. And that's the kind of a church family that we need to be. And we will be that because the Spirit of God is among us. And so I want us to get caught up in that first century world of Christian hospitality. I also want you to see Paul's stress upon human plans and subjection to the will of God. Do you ever make plans? Do you ever have big purposes, things you're going to do for the Lord? And the Lord just kind of just changes it all around? James chapter 4 reminds us of some important things. Turn to James chapter 4, verse 13 and following. Because the Apostle Paul illustrates a very godly attitude that James talks about in chapter 4. And all of us that might be involved in business that are used to projections, a couple weeks ago I, I heard the testimony of a Wycliffe fella. And this Wycliffe fella was talking about he's in charge of doing all of their publications for the coming months, like other worlds that some of you get and things like that. And he said that he has to live about four months in the future. 
Now that's unheard of for me. I live very much in the present. My personality is very much in today. In other words, I am planning what I'm going to be teaching, but it's very immediate because I like it to be hot and I like it to be very much on my own mind. But this fellow was talking about living very much in the future and I'm working on that. I'm really working hard to get so I plan way ahead and I think about the thousandth year and the millennium that I'll have it down. How many of you are present people? You're like that. You're very immediate, okay? The Apostle Paul is telling us that he did make plans, but I want you to see how loose that he holds his plans. Some of you that are future people spend a lot of your life frustrated because life doesn't work so evenly. You know, you get everything planned out, you get everything organized, you've got everything laid out for the next several months, and then all of a sudden it all changes. Look what James says in verse 13 of chapter 4. Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Now you should know that that's a bunch of foolishness. How do you know whether you're going to make money or not? Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? We don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Isn't that comforting? Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. I love the basic simplicity of it. This guy tells us that we shouldn't just make all of these plans. Nothing wrong with planning, but you need to do it with a big if, if the Lord wills. We need to make plans as individuals. We need to make plans as family. We need to make plans as church family. We need to make plans in your businesses. But always put a big if there. Because the reality is, we'll only be able to do it, number one, if we live. Now, if you don't have anything else to be thankful for, you are living. You're living. You're breathing and you're here. If we live. And that's a gracious gift from the Lord. If we live, we will do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag, and all such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. James is reminding us, all that we really have is today. The day of breath now. It will relieve you of so much worry if you stop worrying about what's going to happen four months from now, a year from now, and start using the breath that we have in the present for the glory of God. And so Paul, even the great apostle Paul is saying, I want to come to Macedonia, then I want to come on to Corinth, I want to enjoy some of your Christian hospitality, I want to set up a base of operations to return to, to Jerusalem, and then eventually to come back and go to Rome and then on to Spain. He has all kinds of plans. But he adds this little phrase, if the Lord wills. And let's be sure that we do that. I want you to look at verses 8 and 9, though, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. He says, but right now I will stay at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door of effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. You know, that's a strange combination of words. Open doors, conflict. I want you to stop and think for a minute. How many of you feel that when conflict arises, it means that you're not in the will of God? In other words, if you step out to do something, and you start to get a lot of conflict over it, you get a lot of problems over it, that means that you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, right? No. You see, if a football team decided that, 
then we would have never made it to Texas Stadium last night. Because I want to share with you something about that football game. It's filled with conflict. And last night we were filled with great conflict. When you've got 270-pound linemen that are lumbering around and sitting on our men and crushing them, things are very much full of conflict. That's the joy of it, though. You know, the joy of it, in fact, if we were in Denison today, there would be great rejoicing in our town. As they have this great big 43 that probably goes about 225, squares up to the line, and he just carries about six of our men. If I were to ask that guy, why do you play football? He would say, because I love that. I love to get the ball about three yards behind the center and have those great big linemen in front of me knock people out of the way, and I like to square my shoulders just straight up to the line and take that 225 pounds and carry guys as far as I can go. That's why they do it, because of the conflict. The Apostle Paul is saying there's an open door. And he doesn't quit because there's conflict. He doesn't quit because there's a problem. In the city of Ephesus, Paul had the whole guild of Demetrius who was making these little idols on his back. They made little idols of Diana, the great Ephesian goddess. And they had a big temple where they would go and worship this little idol. As Paul preached every day in the school of Tyrannus, from about 11 o'clock in the morning till 4 o'clock in the afternoon, the Apostle Paul taught in this school. And people from all over the city of Ephesus were coming to hear about Jesus Christ that's risen from the dead. The kind of stuff that we've been getting in 1 Corinthians 15. And the Holy Spirit's beginning to move powerfully. In fact, it's so powerful that the word is spreading all over Asia. And it's also shutting down the idolatrous trade. And Demetrius, the silversmith, is getting furious. In fact, the whole thing is going to culminate in a riot. A whole thousands of people are going to gather together in this temple and they're going to begin pulsating. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the Apostle Paul is going to say, let me in. What a great opportunity for evangelistic meeting. And for once, Paul had some friend who said, no, Paul, this is not the open door. You're going to be flattened if you go in there. They're crazy. But that's the kind of opportunity and the kind of opposition the Apostle Paul was getting. I think one of the greatest needs in our church, in the American church, is to not quit in the face of opposition. You know, we used to be the pioneer nation. Now we are the established nation. You know, the church that was founded 100 years ago in Texas, for example, was a church that would have camp meetings. And they would camp out for a week, two weeks at a time, in inclement weather even. And they would listen to the teaching of the Word of God. That was the foundation of the Methodist Church and the Southern Baptist Church in our area right here. And you can read about those fiery gospel-preaching messages they gave. I wonder how many of us would come out. I mean, if the air conditioning isn't right, if the heat isn't right. But you know, even more, I wonder sometimes about the depth of our ability to take hardship. You know, my dad was down in Argentina having an informal conversation with the interpreter with some of the people that were there. And some of the young people were talking about, we can hardly wait. The Lord's laying it upon our hearts to go into Paraguay. And then another group said, the Lord is laying it upon our hearts to go into Colombia. 
And they were just thrilled with the gospel. There's some areas in Colombia that have never even heard the gospel. So my dad's listening. And my dad's saying, isn't it dangerous in Colombia? In Colombia, Isn't that the center of the drug trade? And these guys shake their head, yeah, sure it is. Sure it is. And then my dad said this, you know, you all might get killed in Colombia. And these guys were just taken aback. They looked at my dad and they said, well, what do you expect? Of course we might get killed. And their attitude as young men was, what do you think we're in this world to do? And what do you think the cost might be? We're in this world to take the gospel into all of creation. And I want to challenge you as a church family, moms and dads, some of you are holding on to your kids. You're afraid they might get called to go there. They might get called to go over there. And you can hang on to them. Don't do that. Your kids are going to be safe in the will of God. Let's be honest. None of us know. We just learned, if the Lord wills. Some of you would say, man, I wouldn't go to Argentina this coming weekend. Man, you might get killed. The plane might crash. Sure, I might be sitting in my bathtub and have a heart attack and I die. And we have a funeral here. How do you know that's not going to happen? Oh, I want you to be set free to really go with the Lord. I have those fears. If I just operated from a human standpoint, I would want things to be very safe. I wouldn't want to travel. Just stay where you're comfortable. But oh, am I glad for what the Lord's talking about here. We've got to take open doors. We've got to get involved in open doors. You know, some of you are discouraged and you're despondent. And you know what my prayer for you today would be? Get caught up in what the Apostle Paul is doing. Get your life caught up in this wonderful task of taking the gospel into all of the world. And your life will change. You'll never be happier than when you're totally committed, totally involved, even facing conflict for the glory of God. I got a word from a friend of ours that's been at our church often. He's a missionary in, in one of the nations over in Europe. In fact, it's very near some of the areas we're talking about now. And this missionary told of some believers that have just received Christ and how they started to grow. And their government, contrary to their, their constitution, threw them in jail. And this missionary is praying, asking us to pray for their safety. These men got out. They were released. And he told about the depth and the increase of the Spirit of God in producing growth in their life. Conflict does not mean that we don't have an open door. What are some of the open doors that God has placed before you? Is fear causing you to hesitate? Are difficult circumstances causing you to doubt whether or not you should enter? We must remember that this side of heaven, God has not promised us personal peace and safety. We are in a wrestling match with the forces of darkness. We should expect things to get tough. The Apostle Paul's passion to fulfill the great command to make disciples of all nations hardly led him into a bed of roses. So keep going for your Savior and run strong, remembering that hard times do not necessarily mean God's disfavor. 
often they mean you are simply at a hot spot in the great counterattack God is making against the evil one. Don't give up. Don't give in.